Vigorous Steve here. Let's take a brief moment to explain what sex hormone binding globulin actually is. SHBG, also known as sex steroid binding globulin, is a transport protein that transports sex hormones from the liver through the bloodstream to androgen or estrogen responsive tissues of the body. SHBG is primarily produced in the liver, but the Sertoli cells of the testicles also produce a comparable globulin called androgen binding protein. This androgen binding protein transports testosterone and diodotestosterone from the testicles to the prostate and the surrounding tissues. The brain also produces trace amounts of SHBG, but that's not anywhere close to the SHBG that the liver produces. SHBG binds diodotestosterone, testosterone, estradiol, and esterone, and to a certain extent, DHEA and progesterone as well. Anabolic androgenic steroids also bind to the SHBG at various affinities, which actually have been established. The relative binding affinities of anabolic androgenic steroids have been compared to dihydrotestosterone as the reference standard. I'll put them on the screen right now. Not all relative binding affinities of anabolic steroids are known, but the ones that I was able to find, they're on the screen. And you might notice that all but one anabolic androgenic steroid has a lower relative binding affinity compared to the reference standard of dihydrotestosterone with a binding affinity of 100. All the other steroids besides provirin have a lower relative binding affinity. Provirin uniquely has a relative binding affinity of 82 to 440 when compared to DHT. So that means that provirin can actually displace testosterone and dihydrotestosterone from the sexual binding globulin, causing serum levels, free testosterone and free DHT levels to rise and thus potentially improve libido if SHBG was holding this testosterone and dihydrotestosterone, let's say somewhat hostage. Now we'll get into a little bit more in depth later on, but uniquely to provirin, it can displace all the other anabolic androgenic steroids, whether those are exogenously administered or endogenously produced from the sex hormone binding globulin and raise serum concentrations. Provirin can also inhibit the aromatase enzyme and prevent the conversion of testosterone into estradiol. And it's the estradiol that actually contributes to SHBG production in the liver. And now SHBG levels come down in the bloodstream. So that means more free testosterone and more free diodotestosterone as well, because you have less SHBG to bind to, which is now being inhibited by provirin. And while that might sound like a great idea, it isn't always the best approach when it comes to manipulating your SHBG levels to improve your libido and ensure that anabolism stays intact. Testosterone weakly binds to albumin at approximately 54% and it's tightly bound to SHBG at approximately 44% with the remaining 1-2% to of testosterone floating around free in the bloodstream. This is without the presence of provirin, obviously, in which case SHBG levels come down and free testosterone levels can go up to, well, depending on how low SHBG levels actually are, maybe as high as 10%, right? Which might be favorable or unfavorable, depending on how you look at it. And this is likely the case for testosterone derivatives as well, albeit that exogenous steroids are known to cross SHBG levels quite severely, sometimes to the same extent that provirin does, but it seems to be dose-dependent also. Regardless of the anabolic androgenic steroids that you take, they will increase free testosterone levels. And it is said that only free testosterone can bind to the androgen receptor and potentiate androgen-mediated gene transcription. But this isn't entirely true. We have non-genomic responses, which don't go through the androgen receptors. And there's a lot of cofactors, co-regulators, 
which help to mediate androgen-mediated gene transcription to a greater extent than without them. Many people think that SHPG holds testosterone or other steroids for that matter hostage. And while that might be true to a certain extent, when androgen-bound SHPG is floating around through the bloodstream, when this SHPG comes to androgen-responsive tissue, this SHPG disassociates from the androgen. The androgen can then activate the androgen receptor within the cell, and the SHBG, which is now free from androgens, can bind to a specific receptor, form a sexual binding globulin receptor complex, and after free androgens or free estrogens bind to the SHBG receptor complex, it actually instructs the cell to produce cyclic adenosine monophosphate, which can then activate the androgen receptor bound to androgens. So now you have two pathways in which androgen-mediated gene transcription is activated and optimized. You need cyclic adenosine monophosphate within the cell for the androgens to bind to the androgen receptor and do all of its magic. Now, of course, there's many other cofactors and co-regulators in this process, zinc and selenium being some of them, but I solely want to focus on the SHBG receptor complex for the sake of this video, I'll address all of the other cofactors in another upcoming video. Don't you worry. So guess what? If you don't have SHBG in the bloodstream, you have single digits sexual binding globulin levels. This process is not fully functional. So you're missing out on this androgen-mediated gene transcription, which needs cyclic adenosine monophosphate to function correctly. Just keep in mind that the sexual binding globulin receptor complex hasn't been extensively investigated. There's some evidence that the SHBG doesn't bind to the cell membrane of human skeletal muscle cells, but it appears to be the case in rat skeletal muscle cells, so some conflicting evidence there. Uh, most of the SHBG receptor complex studies have been performed in the context of breast cancer or prostate cancer, so we do some dubious extrapolation from that. And there's also some conflicting evidence that estradiol, testosterone, or diotestosterone might be an antagonist or an agonist, depending on the tissue that it binds through through the sexual binding globulin receptor complex, regarding if intercellular cyclic adenosine monophosphate concentrations go up or down, right? A lot of studies need to be performed on this particular receptor complex. We're doing our best to take the limited scientific evidence and form our hypothesis on whether we should raise SHBG or crush it down to single digits. But I can tell you from anecdotal experience, pure bro science, that dealing with many enhanced bodybuilders who have single digit SHBG levels, that as soon as you put in some practices to bring their SHBG levels up to favorable levels, let's say 20 to 25 nanomoles per liter, that libido improves, that anabolism improves without increasing the dose, irritability comes down and the overall state of well-being is heightened and improves as well. And whether that comes through the sexual binding globulin receptor complex or reducing the free testosterone, diatomic testosterone and other anabolic androgenic steroids by offering an opportunity to bind to the SHBG when it's traveling through the bloodstream and now you get less androgen receptor activation in the brain, resulting in irritability and maybe uh, altered libido. Uh, that is to be debated. But I can tell you firsthand experience that if you bring your SHBG levels up, things will improve for sure. Oh, and by the way, berberine, caffeine, and PDF5 inhibitors like Cialis, Viagra, or Levitra are all known to increase intercellular cyclic adenosine monophosphate concentrations and might contribute to androgen-mediated gene transcription and optimize that entire process 
as well. So if your SHPG levels are really freaking low and you're on a boatload of androgens, which suppress them, obviously, then maybe berberine caffeine or Cialis can offer you some immediate relief and take your anabolism and libido, or certainly Cialis, to the next level. Let's have a look at the symptoms of high SHBG levels. Those include low free testosterone levels, reduced libido, general fatigue, mood changes, irritability, and reduced muscle mass. And funnily enough, the symptoms of low SHBG levels include, well, obviously elevated free testosterone levels, but also reduced libido, insomnia, acne and oily skin, aggressive behavior, which is basically the same as irritability, and stagnant muscle growth. So you see that there's a lot of overlap between either low or high SHBG levels. And I know before you get upset, right, we can all agree that optimal SHBG levels are favorable for libido, but crushing your SHBG will actually do the reverse of what you're after, right? There's a sweet spot, an ideal reference range for SHBG, which seems to play out for most men, and it's around 20 to 25 nanomoles per liter. So let's have a look and find out what increases SHBG and look for solutions which might lower SHBG in order to free up more testosterone, improve libido, but still keep everything nice and favorable in the middle of the range. Causes of high sexual binding globulin levels includes aging, anti-epileptic, anti-convulsant or anti-psychotic medications, liver disorders, including uh, alcoholic or normal cirrhosis and hepatitis, hyperthyroidism, hemochromatosis, which is excess iron in the body. We have IP6 to combat that. Estrogen therapy or selective estrogen receptor modulator therapies, chronic illness like HIV or AIDS, and inflammatory disorders, anorexia, malnutrition, pro prolonged caloric restriction or fasting can increase SHBG levels, growth hormone deficiency, excessive alcohol consumption, and genetics, which is basically a cruel joke of nature. I'm sure you've seen blood work results of all your friends completely natural, but their total testosterone is like 1,000, 1,200, maybe even 1,600 nanograms per deciliter, and they have no libido to report because their SHBG levels are sky freaking high also, right? It's very cruel, but that happens. I've seen it many times on blood work results. And causes of low sexual hormone-binding globulin levels include type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, and obesity because insulin lowers SHBG levels, hypothyroidism, androgen therapy, whether that's testosterone replacement therapy, hormone replacement therapy, or actual steroid cycles, all known to reduce SHBG levels, Cushing syndrome lowers SHBG because cortisol lowers SHBG levels. Congenital adrenal hyperplasia, hyperprolactinemia, yes, prolactin actually lowers SHBG. Elevated tumor necrosis factor alpha and interleukin 1 beta are known to uh, reduce SHBG levels. Liver disorders, which is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Agromegaly, which is a condition caused by excessive growth hormone levels. And yes, growth hormone lowers SHBG levels, and there's again genetics. So we already have a couple solutions for high or low SHBG levels here. But since the differences between high or low SHBG are a little bit difficult to um, differentiate between, let's get the data, do some blood work to assess if SHBG levels are actually high or low. Um, we do have clinically established reference ranges for men over 20 years old to 49 years old, and again, over 49 years old. But from the age of 0 to 19, I was not able to find an established reference range 
for sexual hormone-binding globulin. So I took that from the literature, again, all citations down below. So we see that uh, SHBG goes up during, during a puberty years, then comes down somewhat to a stable level between the age of 20 to 49 years old. And then over the age of 49, SHBG levels go up again. Like I mentioned earlier, with aging, SHBG levels generally go up. Commonly, you'll see that drug-free athletes have somewhat elevated SHBG levels. The TRT guys or the HRT plus guys have, let's say, middle of the reference range SHBG levels, unless they use Provarin to crush that SHBG to single digits. Just like the steroid users or abusers, right? with the steroid users, you usually see single digit SHBG, 10 at most. And they're usually a black hole singularity of misery because their SHBG levels are so low chronically. I'm sure you understand that the context in which we use SHBG raising or lowering medications or performance enhancing drugs is highly dependent on your blood work results. So get those done before you throw the kitchen sink at it, just because your libido is off for a day or two. If you're currently drug-free and your SHBG levels are somewhat towards the top of the reference range, and you notice that your libido has taken a turn from the worst, but you're not dieting, keep in mind that dieting alone, caloric restriction can not only increase SHBG levels, but also has a negative effect on your libido. So let's assume you're not dieting. Um, consider taking three to six milligrams boron once or twice per day, because boron is known to have a tangible, albeit not super suppressive, positive effect in lowering your SHBG levels. And keep in mind that vitamin D, zinc, and magnesium deficiencies have all been linked to elevated SHBG levels. So make sure you get adequate amounts from sunlight or through diet or over-the-counter supplementation every single day. And there's also some scientific evidence that shows that fish oil can actually lower SHBG levels. So even if you're drug-free, I think there's ample opportunity for you to take charge of your elevated SHBG levels and bring those down with over-the-counter supplements and making sure you eat enough foods. And if that doesn't work, well, maybe look into growth hormone secretagogues, ipermorelin and tessamorelin or CJC1295 with the drug affinity complex in combination with MK677, because um, those might lower your SHBG by elevating your growth hormone levels, and as a hidden side effect, which might be a blessing in disguise, growth hormone secretagogues are also known to increase prolactin levels and cortisol levels. And since prolactin and cortisol also have a suppressive effect on SHBG, you might hit it from three different pathways. Now, of course, hyperprolactinemia might also severely diminish your libido and high cortisol levels might also not make you feel super good. So I would proceed with caution. And if you have some experience with growth hormone secretagogues, I think it's a valid approach to increase your growth hormone levels, your IGF-1 levels, and thus sex hormone binding globulin levels will somewhat get under control again, freeing up testosterone and downward testosterone, increasing your libido. But uh, don't overdo it because, again, elevated prolactin and elevated cortisol might give you some diminishing returns. And you could always look into a low-dose proviron as your sole method to control SHBG levels when you're otherwise drug-free. At a dose of 6.25 milligrams proviron once or twice per day, and feel free to start with three administrations of 6.25 milligrams proviron per week and slowly ramp that up with blood work in between to see if that has a suppressive negative effect on your luteinizing hormone, follicle-stimulating hormone, total testosterone, estradiol, and everything else that's controlled by the hypothalamic pituitary testes axis, right? 
You don't want to overdo the proviron to the point you're now androgen deficient because your LH and FSH secretion from the pituitary is shut down. But I think a low dose proviron is very, very beneficial, again, if you're otherwise drug free, to bring that SHPG level down, free up more testosterone, control your serum estradiol levels because it seems that estradiol has the most unfavorable effect on the hypothalamic pituitary testes axis. So if your testosterone goes up, but your SHBG comes down and your estradiol also comes down, then your luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone should stay intact, right? Assuming that the dose is kept low. And if you're already on a testosterone replacement therapy or full-blown hormone replacement therapy plus protocol, then it's very likely that your sex hormone binding globulin levels are already favorable at let's say 20 to 25 nanomoles per liter because exogenous testosterone at super physiological amounts already lower your SHBG, especially if you do daily microadministrations because now you have a daily influx of androgens and through daily microadministrations, you keep your serum estradiol levels, which would otherwise promote SHBG production in the liver in range. All right, so why would you add proviron to your hormone replacement therapy plus protocol and free up the testosterone to the point your SHBG is zero and now your libido is still off? I think your libido is already good, bro. You don't need proviron to raise it more. Look into other methods like oxytocin or Cimax or sublingual dihydro testosterone to take your libido to the next level and then sprinkle in a little bit of Cialis for increased blood flow, right? I'll link my libido video at the end of this one, but I don't see a reason for anybody on hormone replacement therapy where their serum testosterone levels are towards the top of the reference range or super physiological to use Provirin. It's not necessary. I know you guys want to experiment, right? Pandora's box has been opened, but you're shooting yourself in the foot. I almost guarantee it. And if your TRT dose is like 150 or 100 milligrams testosterone per week, and you notice through blood work analysis that your SHBG is still elevated, all right, go for it, right? You have the data, your testosterone dose is low, you're already doing daily microadministrations, and your serum estradiol levels are under control. Um, they might get lower because again, proviron acts as a reversely binding aromatized inhibitor, um, but that also gives you the incentive to maybe raise your testosterone dose or, or you could actually reduce your injection frequency increase your estradiol levels through that route, but then of course you use the proviron to reduce your SHBG, right? There's so many ways to skin the cat. You have to pick and choose which direction you go with. The foundation still remains. Do your fucking blood work before you take action. And well, if your hormone replacement therapy plus protocol consists of growth hormone and insulin and IGF-1, maybe sprinkling a little bit of a mastrone or primabolin on top, right? then it's very likely that your SHBG levels are single digits or maybe in the tens at best, right? Prove it with blood work and see what you need to do to optimize your sex hormone binding globulin levels and your libido downstream. So what can we do to bring up our SHBG a little bit without, right? The caveat here is without stopping our performance enhancing drug protocol. Caloric restriction is not going to cut it because guys that are on full-blown contest prep or cutting phase uh, performance-enhancing drug stacks are in a caloric-restrictive state for longer periods of time and your SHBG is still single digits. If you want to increase SHBG fast, you're going to have to do full fasting, which obviously isn't very sustainable, especially 
if you're single digit body fat levels, right? Maybe a day of full fasting. Okay, I get it. A full week of fasting, that's going to be hard. And longer than that, um, you're just going to shrivel up away and uh, go completely catabolic. So don't do that. It might offer some immediate relief regarding raising your SHBG levels, but I think there's much better approaches to get that under control. You could reduce your steroid intake. Okay, let's not even go there. You could reduce your injection frequency, right? Maybe from everyday administrations, you go to every other day or three times per week, or maybe even twice a week, right? To increase your estrogen levels and reduce the immediate burden, the influx of androgens, reducing your SHBG levels. Again, all are a little bit to be debated, but they might offer some relief and a solution long-term. I think the best thing you can look into is thyroid medication. 6.25 micrograms to 12.5 micrograms T3 plus 25 micrograms to 50 micrograms T4 once or twice per day, once in the morning and perhaps a second dose in the afternoon, not too late in the day because that might cause insomnia. And guys, please slow down. Don't increase your thyroid medications to the point you have hyperthyroidism. I know it increases SHBG, but if you go over 25 micrograms T3, which is not unheard of in the fitness industry, right? People running 100 micrograms T3 for a contest prep or cutting phase, um, that also increases your heart rate. It might cause some complications with your heart, heart enlargement, and it might also make you go catabolic if your calories are not carefully manipulated because with elevated thyroid hormones, right? The protein conversion and the conversion of other nutrients is significantly sped up so i would recommend a replacement dose of thyroid hormones but not a super physiological dose which again might elevate shbg levels but in the total picture it's not very sustainable one of my favorite methods to increase shbg levels and libido overall is human chorionic gonadotropin hcg for acute relief you might want to run a thousand ius three times per week monday wednesday friday for as long as you need to elevate your shbg levels and heighten your libido and then afterwards, you can drop down the dose to a maintenance dose, let's say 250 IOs to 500 IOs three times weekly. That seems to work very, very, very well. And of course, HCG contributes to SHBG production indirectly because HCG increases estradiol levels, and it's the estradiol that instructs the liver to produce more SHBG. Still, I think it's a very sustainable approach. I think that HCG should be a part of most cycles that men run to sustain testicular function and keep all of the intermediary hormones intact when the hypothalamic pituitary testis axis is obviously shut down through the use of exogenous androgens. Um, and a fun fact is that follicle-stimulating hormone at, let's say, 75 IOs sub-Q daily or three times weekly increases androgen-binding protein within the testicles, which, again, delivers testosterone and dihydrotestosterone to the prostate, which might have some overlapping beneficial effects but androgen binding protein doesn't appear to go systemic, right? For fertility purposes, follicle stimulating hormone in combination with a human chorionic gonadotropin is very, very, very beneficial. But in the larger context of um, getting better libido and having a better anabolism through the sexual binding globulin receptor complex, follicle stimulating hormone might be. Um, somewhat benign. And you can always keep your estradiol at super physiological levels. So let's say 40 to 75 picograms per milliliter, depending on what steroid cycle you run. This might be enough to offset the reduction of SHBG levels and keep those favorable 
But of course, uh, elevated estradiol levels might also give you side effects that you're not really after, right? I mean, it might have a negative effect on your libido. Some men don't respond well to elevated estradiol levels. Some men get gynecomastia. Some men get severe water retention or facial flushing, right? So again, please do your blood work. Look into the total picture for guys on a pretty high levels of exogenous testosterone or other steroids. It might be a good thing to do because estradiol has so many um, cardiac protective benefits. But if you're on hormone replacement therapy, um, let's say your testosterone is at super physiological amounts, but slightly out of the reference range, then I would not exceed the reference range when it comes to your serum estradiol levels. And if you're on a moderate cycle or hormone replacement therapy, you could always look into estrogen beta receptor agonists like ectosterone or tocosterone. Uh, honestly, it's a pretty expensive way to increase your sex hormone binding globulin levels, assuming those are low. Um, and you shouldn't expect any additional anabolism on top of your hormone replacement therapy plus protocol. But from my own personal blood work results and a lot of blood work results that I've analyzed, of men that are running HRT and wanted to experiment with ectosterone or tocosterone, it seems that it has a marginal but tangible effect by increasing SHBG levels, which could have positive downstream effects. And of course, there might be some potential collagen synthesis and anabolism through the estrogen beta receptor, um, but that seems not to be as tangible <laughs> as the increase in SHBG, right? If you're drug-free, tocosterone and ectosterone might have an anabolic effect, it doesn't appear to raise SHBG levels beyond what naturals usually have, which is already towards the top of the reference range, right? Unfavorable SHBG levels. But if you're somewhat low, then based on my own blood work results, a turkesterone and ectosterone might raise SHBG with a couple points. If you need immediate relief, your SHBG levels are absolutely crushed, you can consider exogenous estradiol in the form of 20 micrograms to 50 micrograms ethanol estradiol orally coming from birth control or one to two milligrams estradiol valerate subcutaneous once to twice weekly again this is in stage shbg management i'd rather have you take out all testosterone derivatives or other testosterone derivatives which are known to inhibit the conversion of testosterone into estradiol you wait a couple weeks and your estradiol levels will slowly but steadily come up. From all the research that I've done, it seems that ethanol estradiol, when taken orally in the form of birth control, has a more pronounced effect on raising SHBG levels because ethanol estradiol, when taken orally, passes through the liver, and it's the liver that is the primary production place of SHBG. And estradiol valerate, of course, has to be metabolized from the injection depot when the estradiol valerate ends up in the liver the valerate is cleaved through the carboxyl esterases, estradiol is liberated and can then increase SHBG production. But the concentration of estradiol valerate that ends up in the liver at any point in time will be significantly less compared to ethanol estradiol when taken orally, right? So two different routes to go with, um, but again, do some additional research because the side effects might be uh, tremendous also. But honestly, I would only consider this practice maybe after finishing a contest prep, when you've been megadosing DHTs and testosterone derivatives and aromatized inhibitors, and maybe even selective estrogen receptor modulators, and now your serum estradiol levels and SHBG levels are completely bottomed out, right? Estradiol valerate or ethanol estradiol might offer some immediate relief by raising serum estradiol levels to favorable ranges. Um, and within a couple of days, you might experience heightened libido 
which might also come from the increase in food intake, right? There's a lot of things going on at the end and following contest prep. You might be able to get some beneficial effects from selective estrogen receptor modulators like Nolvidex, Clomid, or Enclomiphene maybe once or twice daily. That is known to increase SHBG levels. The problem with um, exogenous estradiol and selective estrogen receptor modulators is that they all potentiate clotting risk. So they're not sustainable at all. I would not consider Nolvidex, Clomid, or Enclomiphene alongside your hormone replacement therapy protocol or alongside a steroid cycle to ensure that your SHBG levels stay somewhat in range because you might end up dying from a pulmonary embolism or a stroke or something of a complication due to a blood clot, right? I mean, there's guys out there that recommend people to take Clomid for very long periods of time. Um, it sounds like they want you to die. <laughs> so take that all with a grain of salt, right? Um, out of all of these options, I would say that, um, you know, thyroid medication, human chorionic gonadotropin, and perhaps uh, ectosterone or tocasterone are the most sustainable. And of course, you can always keep your estradiol levels towards the top of the reference range or maybe slightly super physiological, depending on tolerance for the most favorable SHBG levels. That being said, if you make it those steroids, SHBG will never be favorable and you might need to come off. Now yeah, it sucks, right? So you run your steroid cycle for as long as you can tolerate it. And when you notice that gains have stalled and your libido is tanked, that's your sole excuse to throw in the towel and go on a cruise. And like I mentioned before, berberine, caffeine, Cialis, Viagra, and Levitra, they're all known to increase cyclic adenosine monophosphate concentrations within the cells and might even make your steroids work better, even if your SHBG levels are somehow unfavorable, right? Food for thought, and lucky you, I have a best dose of Cialis Tadalafil in the pipeline. Let me know down below if you would like to see that in a hurry. Let's leave it here. I hope this gives you some idea on how to manipulate your SHBG levels, whether that's increasing it or lowering it. Whatever route you decide to go with, make sure you do your blood work over at Merrick Health if you live in the United States. They have excellent patient care coordinators and healthcare providers who can help you interpret your blood work results and maybe help you increase your SHBG or lower your SHBG, depending on what else you're doing and what results you're after. And if you want to use Tercesterone or Ectisterone, Gorilla Mind has those always on discount with my discount code VIGOROUS for 10% off. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at VIGORSteve. Vigorous crew, you guys know what to do. A front double bicep for you guys. Thank you guys so much for watching. I hope this solves your problems. And if it didn't, well, uh, make sure that you're subscribed because I have so many videos about libido and anabolism that I'm sure you can find a solution in another upcoming video. Thank you guys so much for watching and I'll see you in the next one.